sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It reads, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. Now, for the month of August, us as MBDM, we've really been focusing on this theme scripture that came from our vacation Bible school this year. And where we venture with this or use this to kind of realize is talking about our soul not needing to lead our lives. And and we broke down what our souls are made of and what have you. But we want our spirit to be the one leading us in control, directing our life. Now, we have realized that we have the power, and the power came from God. It was given to us to do something with and not to waste it on completing other tasks. If we truly believe that we are born on purpose, for a purpose, and with purpose, then every gift, tool, and opportunity we have carries a purpose as well. I first learned this from my wife, whom I love. Just saying, I've met some people in my life, and they are married, but they don't like their spouse. So I, 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 that's why I say that. It sounds like a joke, like, no, no, no. My wife, whom I love, okay? And it's a recording, so I, she knows I say it. <laughs> Sidebar, when I, when I um, injured myself in the school year and I put a picture of her up, I tell the students that um, they try to guess who she is. It's funny, and uh, this year, kids thought she was my sister. I was like, I was like, we didn't even talk about the age part yet, but moving on. But I know I cleared and I said, this is my wife who I am happily married to. And I tell him, if you ever see her, you better tell her that I said that I am happily married because I ain't about to mess up my household. So that's what I, so anyway, getting back on focus. Um, so this concept that everything that we have carried a purpose, I first learned from her. What happened was we were having a conversation about some random money that came, that we came into. And we gave God the glory for the money and the finances. And we also had some things that I was like, okay, we can pay this off. We can do this. We can do that. Put it in position. But she stopped me, and she shared a quick story that her dad taught her or shared with her. And the moral of the story is that money comes with an assignment. And so the money that we have, which was extra, we weren't counting on it. We thought we calculated everything correctly, but it was an increase. So gave God the glory. But this is young in our faith, so we, you know, we get new money. We like yes, clothes or yes, date night finally. Yes, something, you know, irresponsibly. Yes, let's pay off this bill. Yes, pay. but we had to wait. And she was like, "We need to know what this money is assigned to do, because if we don't use it for what it's assigned for, then we failed God. We weren't obedient with it." And with that, with, 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 in saying that, what's important for us to realize is that with, having, with us having a relationship with Christ, it also means that we have to ask God what to do with things that is given to us an extra and not being afraid to place things in savings until he gives us the instructions. You know, we don't have to spend all our money as soon as we get it. We have this thing called savings. Or there is a wait period because you don't know there was an error made and so you have to give it back. You don't know if something else is going to pop up in a couple months and, oh, this was the right amount that goes with it. And so part of it is ensuring that we're staying on par with God. And in that, what ends up happening is it's another way to show that we are faithful because our human side is like, it's my money and I want to spend it now on what I need to do. But this is a moment where we get to train our flesh to not be in the lead and not be antsy when we got money in our hand. 
but to really give it to God and say, God, what am I supposed to do with it? You know, how am I supposed to handle this? Or else what ends up happening is we don't get the full return that that money was sent to give to us. See, the thing is, when we spent the money on what it was assigned to, the return was peace. We were comfort. We knew we'd spent it on the right thing. And so, once again, as Apostle mentioned two weeks ago with the parable of the talents, that one was talking about what you do with the money that the masters gave, what the servant did with the money the master gave them, and he got increased. It wasn't about the amount of money they had, and it wasn't about the amount of money that they got in, in addition. It was about did you do what the master would have done with it? And the only way you know that is to have a closeness with the master to understand the master's heart. Now, the one who got scared only thought, saw the master from, you are a, a fearful man, you are a harsh man, you are a rough man, and it causes that person to be afraid. But we just read 2 Timothy 1 and 7 that God did not give us the spirit of fear. So there's one thing to have a reverential fear, which means I don't want to get you there, but I also don't want to disappoint you. And so with this, with this opportunity, with the things that we have, with our, with our spirit, it's understanding that if we wait and show that we're listening to God's voice, then we'll never go wrong. Because if God says we're supposed to do it, then he already got the backup plan if something goes south anyway, because he already wrote a book about what's about to happen in the situation before he told us to go do it. So we're then not having to handle that portion, but we allow God to be God and we do the portion that we need to do. I am going somewhere with this, so just roll with me here. Now, last week, Pastor Kamika shared about generations and how we got to, um, got to this time and place. When she talked about the first generation, second generation, and third generation. Uh, the generation who, with God, interact with God, everything. The second generation that heard about it, but didn't increase what the first generation had gave to them. So, therefore, the third, and hoarded those things. Therefore, the third generation was like, I don't know who G.O.D. is. And started doing their own thing. And so for me and hearing that and then turn around and last week, seeing all these first day of school pictures, it really got me to thinking, got me to pause to think about, am I doing my part to install and implement the word of God in their lives? It really had me to think of well, which generation am I in? Am I acting like the first generation or am I acting like the second generation? Am I willing to share the word of God with my children, to those who are closest to me, or do I just assume since they're near me and beside me, they'll pick it up osmosisly? But I'm willing to sit down and teach other people, children and even adults, what the word of God says, but I'm not willing to sit down and share that with those that I claim on taxes. Like, that's a little different situation if you will, that I'm not willing to teach those that are closest to me and even just showing Christ to them so they understand what it is and to be able to pick up when things are going kind of sideways. And so being able to also support them along the way. And even not, maybe not even those that are in my home, but even those that I'm accountable to. And so this is where Ask a Pastor for me is very important this upcoming Friday because we need to make sure that as a as the adults or the current generation, we are more available and allow, we're more available for them to talk, but we're also allowing them to lead the conversation. Have you ever been in a meeting or um, in a situation where you chose to start the meeting, like you were leading the meeting, that out of nowhere, someone done took your meeting to the side, and you're like, I thought I called this meeting. I thought I was 
leading this. But all of a sudden, you leading this meeting? What? What's? Hold on. I, why are you putting your agenda on me? Like, I really have such and such and such to talk about. Whether it's at work and you need some support, whether it's within your relationship and your spouse, and you like, wait, 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 this is about me. This ain't about you right now. I need you to support me. Like, I'll support you in a moment, but, yo, this is my turn. Hey, I got, I got the, I got the whistle. I'm, my time, my time. I got five moments, you know, those moments. And what happens is when you feel that your meaning has been ransacked or hijacked, you feel violated. And it really makes it hard for you to go back and to be able to have this opportunity again, because now you got this store memory of like, well, when I did this before, it just ended here. So why even go through these steps again? when I don't see any change whatsoever. And I say that because I think about this, this current generation or the generation that's coming of age of how many times have they had conversations or try to have conversations with adults, but the adults never stop to let them lead the conversation. They assume what they wanted to hear instead of ask them, what is it that you actually are saying? And maybe not always listening with your ears because you hear the word, but do you hear the intentionality behind it? See, 75% of communication is nonverbal. Another portion is not the words you said, but how you say it. Depending on what words you emphasize will tell me what you're trying to actually get to. Even when punctuation, you can say something and it's a period, you say something else and it's a question. And that changes the whole flow and the whole intention of that particular statement. And so we're going to address that with Ask a Pastor, and that's why it's so important. But I want to also extend that out to us just as a body in general. Because the thing about it is, what God showed me in you know, studying and processing this is that for people, and some people, including myself at times, we are afraid to ask God questions. There's a fear of asking questions. Once again, 2 Timothy 1 and 7 said, God did not give us a spirit of fear. But there's a fear of asking God some types of questions. When we look at James 1 and 5, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, if we say that scripture quickly a lot of time, getting this verse 6, 7, 8, but let's slow this down a little bit. If we slow it down, what we see is that God is willing and able to answer all questions that we may present, which means he is wanting us to ask some questions. Now, there's a difference between asking God questions and questioning God. I'll do the second part another time when he gives me to, but I want to focus on asking God questions. Because being able to ask God questions is actually a sign of humility. Newsflash. We don't know everything. That's the exclamation point just because you realize that's not a question or a period. I know. The, okay, moving on. Yes, kiddos, I'm, that's exclamation point. We don't know. You don't know everything I don't know everything. None of us know everything. We know a little about a lot, but we don't know a lot about it's. We don't know all, okay? So with that being the, the statement being made, we have to realize that even though we don't know everything and we don't have the answer to every question, we do have the answer key at our disposal, and that's Jesus Christ. We do have access to the booklet. And when I say that we don't know everything, here's what I'm trying to, here's what God showed me. He said that we're all going through different phases of life that we've never been through before. I've talked about it years ago when we had the, um, the boys. I was never a sibling. 
I am an only child. I don't know what this sibling life looks like. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have that experience to go back to and say, oh, this is how my brother and sister, I don't know that. I have a different experience when it comes to the thing we call siblings. And I'll leave it at that for right now. <laughs> Let's put it like this. I didn't grow up with siblings, so I don't get it. I, don't, I didn't have that background. So you're talking about going to God and asking questions like, okay, are they supposed to fight this much? Like, are they supposed to, are they supposed to banter like this? Like, what's up with the middle child? Like, who this person? Like, I've heard stories, but what's up with the middle child thing? Like, what's this? Like, what's going on? I don't know. I don't know. So I got to ask somebody who does. And I have to ask God even, who do I go to in the world to give me the support I need? Because I don't need support on how to be a sibling. I need support on how to be a parent to siblings. You hear the difference? Because you may have been a sibling, but you may have an only child. That is a different way of looking at it, of how do you ensure everybody gets love. I can hear from people who are siblings. I may not feel like I got a lot of love, or I got way too much love, and I can give you some. But the question becomes, from the parent perspective, what does it look like? From a parent perspective, how do I make this happen? From a parent perspective, how do I balance all of this? And watch this, still fulfill the individual purpose God has given me that may not include my children at this very time. Because, yes, I love my children. Like is sometimes questionable, but I do like them right now, so we're good. Love always. Like, you know, I'm learning forgiveness, giving forgiveness, recognizing maybe I went a little too hard. Maybe I yelled a little too loud. Let me teach them and show them what I was really trying to get to. But in all of that, being that way and going through that journey, it's interesting to see God work in the midst of it because I already know that, like, through all the things I've happened, I'm going to say this, and I'm not claiming in advance. I'm just saying in the future. I ain't no grandparent yet. Praise God. I'm not a grandparent. Praise God. I mean, I'll be a good-looking young grandparent, but I'm not there yet, which is fine, okay? But I know when I get there, I have to learn what that looks like. Now, for our children, we've, I've heard the statement sometimes saying that I've lived on this earth longer than you have. I've been you. You're trying to get to where I'm at. That is awesome and magically delicious. But here's the thing about it. Even though we've been in their shoes, we have not been in their shoes at this day and age. Even though I grew up and when I got to high school, we went from the dial-up AOL internet into what this world looks like, I am not a native to the situation. I am what they call a digital immigrant. My children are digital natives, okay? Which means they were born and raised in this. They don't know what it looks like to turn a knob on the TV. I do know that. I know I look young. I had that experience. I got that. I know what it looks like at the end. Oh, say, can you see? I, I know what that looks like. Or here's another one. I've, I've been old enough to hear the, this is the end of the broadcast. Do. And then all of a sudden in the morning it turns on. You're like, well, I'm watching Mickey Morning. Anyway, moving on. So um, I've that, oh, but 
They're not. But that's not to devalue what time they're in. It's not to devalue what they're in the midst of. It's not to take away that there's certain words that they can search on the internet that is innocent, that will pull up vulgar information that no parent will even be aware of. It's not to take away that you have children having fights on Snapchat and they're fifth graders. True story. There, 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 there's a different situation where we may have grew up and all we got to deal with is the note paper, check, yes, check, no, check, maybe. They over here got different programs using Microsoft Excel sheets to try to text stuff so that parents don't know what's going on, asking all these deep questions. you like, how do you even know how to spell that word? I don't even know what that word is. Why is that code for this? I thought we were talking about, okay, I'll just move on. I'm, I'm changing my information. I'll keep going. The point is, the point is I'm, I'm trying to make here is that, I'm, gonna go, I'm going back to my point. The point is this. As adults, we don't even know what they're facing unless we ask them questions. But most adults are sitting here like, I want the youth to ask me questions. How about we model what we want them to do? How about we make the situation, a, a, a place, an a, a environment, a setting to where they want to ask questions or that they at least feel more comfortable talking because if they're not talking to you, they're talking to somebody. And even asking the question, why don't we talk? Why aren't we close? And not being afraid when they say, well, I don't want to talk about it or I don't know. Giving them the space. Don't threaten them with their lives and taking stuff away. Give them an opportunity to process what they're trying to say and their feelings. Because guess what? This may be the first or second time they've ever felt this. This may be the first time they've ever had an adult come down to their level and literally gave them control and said, lead the conversation. Oh, they can do it with their friends, but they can't do it with adults. And so in the midst of that, I want to make sure I'm perfectly clear to everyone, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're in the middle, however you want to define yourself regarding your age and what classification you're in, I want to make sure it's clear that it is okay to ask God questions on what is going on around you. And my proof is when we look at the disciples, because if you look in Luke 11 and 1, what we see is a situation where the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. It says, now it came to pass that he was praying in a certain place when he sees that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now, these, this is the crew that he's put together. This is the squad, if you will, that he's put together. And they're asking Jesus how to pray. Even if you go over to Matthew 17 and you look through 14 through 21, what you'll find is the um, case where Jesus Christ eventually heals the epileptic son. The one where Jesus transfigured the mountain, but down back at the crib or where they were at in, in the territory, the disciples was trying to deliver this boy and they couldn't. So Jesus Christ showed up on the scene and he did it. Well, Look, uh, Matthew 17, verse 19, what we see is disciples' kind of response after all of that. Um, it says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Now, this is the crew at this point who have seen Jesus cast out demons. This is even at the point when you go past Matthew 10, which means they've been released and was already commissioned to go ahead and deliver the cast out demons. So this is not their first royal trying to cast out demons. But they still reached a situation where they messed up. And they were still had to go, they still went and asked Jesus Christ, okay, what's up? Why were we not able to do what we know we should have done? Instead of them going on their own merit, 
and trying to figure it out on their own. Because one thing about asking questions, it creates humility, which means if you are afraid to ask questions, then either A, there's an environment in which you're afraid or you're prideful. Because prideful means I got this. I know the answer. I can figure this out. It's like, well, yeah, you can figure it out, but are you going to figure it out the way God intended you to figure it out? Because if you're going to be a trailblazer, that means you have to blaze a trail that's not there right now. And even if you're on a trail that's been blazed before, it doesn't mean you won't make your own fork off of it. Because God is trying to take you a certain way. It's one of the hardest things to, the hardest thing to face is when you go the way God tells you to go. Because what, what ends up happening behind that? People ask you questions. Why you do it that way? I, this always worked in this family. Oh, why you put sugar on your grits and not butter? We always do savory grits. All of a sudden, why you want to be all different? It's cream of wheat anyway. Why you, oh, oh, why you using Splenda? I thought we used cane sugar. What's, what's the difference? Not realizing that you're battling with diabetes, but you can't tell them because they're hard-headed and don't want to have a conversation with you. Okay, I'll move on. So with that part being there and being a trailblazer, you have all these questions. Even with beyond the food, why are you fasting like you are? I thought you don't, it don't take all that to get God's attention. Love that, love that statement. Why do you tithe the way you do? I don't get it, but don't you need the money to do some other stuff? You know, you can just take that money and go on a trip. You can't claim all down in your taxes. You can use that. Not realizing that if you go a little bit deeper in the word, it says, if you tie the way God tells you to tie, that he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Not realizing that if you do what God tells you to do with the tithing, that he's actually making you a disciple, disciplined in all areas of your life. That's not just spiritually. That's not just physically. That is also financially. Because God can provide. It's us who blows the bag. Grab the right phrase in line, and blow the bag. Uh, okay, I want to make sure I say it correctly. Where God's saying, I'm trying to train you so that you have a savings that you can live off of so you don't got to work until you die, but you can actually get to this thing called retirement. That's the right word. To where your money can make money for you. So that you can go do the work I have assigned for you in the next phase of life. See, it's not just about the phase you're in now. It's about the phase you're trying to get to. We preach that so much in education saying, you just get this degree, it will set you up for the next phase of life. Well, what phase of life is God trying to prepare us for? But we're the one destroying it because we will not be disciplined in the things that he tells us to be disciplined in. And we want to be prideful enough to not ask him the questions on how, how do I do this your way for my life? Even if it confounds those around me, you call me to do a particular work. I was born on purpose, for a purpose, and with purpose so to fulfill that purpose, I to do things the way you intended to happen because you wrote about my life before you dispatched me according to Psalms 139. Therefore, I have to go stay close to you so I'm able to roll with you. Because if I ask a question, if I'm too far from you, you won't hear me. Because realize for Jesus to hear those disciples' questions, he had to be close to them. 
Now, if you want more examples of being okay to ask God's question, look at Moses in Exodus 3. He asked a lot of questions about why I'm going back to Egypt. If you want another one, look at Abraham when he prayed for and talked to God about um, pleading for Sodom back in Genesis 18. He did a countdown where you destroy if there's 50 righteous men, 45, 30, 25, 15. Like, read it. You, you're laughing, but read the scripture. He literally was like, okay, God, I know I came back before. What if there's 37? Like, he came back like, dude, what are you trying to say? Anyway, but the point I want to make is that it's okay to ask God's question, 27. So, in asking God questions, we have to be bold enough to wait for his response. See, this thing with God, when it comes to asking questions, when it comes to going for the lost, when it comes to building that relationship and being able to ask questions, part of it is not just asking the question. Part of it is waiting for his response at the end of the day. We have to trust that he knows better because he's the author and finisher of our faith. And as I continue to stay, he wrote a book about our lives before he dispatched us. Now, in the event that you think God does not want to hear your voice, I'm here to tell you that is a flat-out lie. God wants to hear your voice. Let me help y'all, little children, 2, 5, 17, what have you. God wants to hear your voice as well. He had a relationship with you before he, let, he put you on earth. And he still wants the relationship with you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to make you bold. He wants to make you strong. He wants to bless you beyond measure. He wants to be there in the mountaintops. He wants to be there in the valley moments. He will stay closer to you than any person you can think or imagine. The Bible says he'll never leave you, nor will he forsake you. So understand that God has your back one way or another. It is in you to trust him for what he's asking you to do. And let me spoil the surprise here. This life is hard, point blank and period. But God said, even though it's hard, I still got your back. Even though you may feel the pressure, I'm still in your corner. Even though those things come against you, I am still there. I will lift up a standard against everything that comes against you. I'm responsible for you if you stay close to me. Because as a king, I got to make sure my subjects are covered. My subjects are taken care of. And I will dispatch armies against them for your name's sake. I will even go back and get you if you falter. Because I will not allow for one of mine to die. And so God loves you, and he loves you enough to walk with you wherever you go. Now, he will be real with you and let you know when you've gone too far, but you're never too far to not get back to God. And so in that, when it comes to waiting for his response, it really talks about and allows for us to look at the point of understanding that when we ask some questions about whether how do we worship, how do we praise, all the questions we have, why are things the way they are in this world? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did this occur? It requires for us to not just dump stuff on God, but to also allow for us to wait for his response, which means it requires faith to be able to handle this. So now if we go and look at James 1, 6 through 8, it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driving and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, you want to go a little bit deeper in that? Go back to two weeks ago when Apostle broke that down a little further. But my point I want to make here is that without faith, it's hard for us to believe God's answer. And if that's the case, then we not we will not get the result that God promised to us. 
Now, we can't get mad at God for us not believing in his word. That's on us. Either we believe or not. And if you don't believe in God, don't ask him for anything. But I promise you, if you believe a little bit in what God is saying, the response he gives you, it will feed the faith that you have. And it's not about starting with this massive amount of faith. Faith is a muscle that has to continue to be strengthened. But the only way faith can be strengthened is, number one, going through things with God and seeing that he's true what he's saying. Number two, being willing to have a conversation with God and take him at his word to see that he was not lying what he said. And then number three, getting to the point where you're willing to share the gospel with others. Now, you're not going to get that last point immediately, but the thing is, faith is the center of all of that. And so it really is a us decision when it comes to that portion. Okay? Now, I'm not just talking about believing just a portion of the word. No, no, no. We must believe in all that God says. Now, it's okay to go back for clarification. Go back to Moses. Moses was like, okay, I'm going back to Egypt. Okay. What if Pharaoh tried to kill me? If they ask me who sent me, who am I, ta- who am I telling them? So I'm going to go back by myself, God? Okay, you know I'm 40, right? Like, you know, like these bones are cricking, right? Like, you do realize that, right? Like, he asked so many questions for clarification, but at the end of the day, he still went ahead and followed what God said. And his faith had to be in everything God said across the board. Because realize, Moses, when he went back, he had to go back and face a Pharaoh who was going to try to kill him. He was going back in the territory where there were still people in there who knew little Moses. Okay? Even though he went back, and he was, I believe, 80 when he went back, homeboy still had a crew that was there that knew who he was and was going to try to take him out. So he had to go into a land which he knew his life could be taken. He had to go talk to people who kind of knew who he was, but also a crew who didn't know. They heard the, the, um, the legend of Moses. They didn't really see Moses. Okay? So he had all these obstacles in front of him, but even through all the questions, he still moved forward with that. Okay? Now, I want to share what God showed me in that same vein. Something God showed me was um, a trash can and people throwing trash and garbage inside of it and walking away. And he said, this is what my people are doing with their prayers. Okay? Now, yes, we do know, and I've said it, 1 Peter 5 and 7, it says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Yes, it is true. Psalms 55 and 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. So it is, it is in the word of God and the right thing to cast all the things we have onto God. Cast. Throw it away. Flip it over there. Overhand. Underhand. Disc it. All that is cool, and it's awesome. But what happens at times is that we cast them up there, and we never stop to allow God to respond or get back to us what we're supposed to handle. Some Christians or people in the body of Christ believe that once you give to God, it's a done deal and it's done. But now realizing there's still a part you may have to play in it. Once again, if you go back and look at Moses in this example, Moses, he got assigned by God, told what to do. If Moses never did his part, the children of Israel would never been freed. He had to do what God told him to do, 
even when him casting all of his cares unto God. What ended up happening is God responded and said, got your answer? Now keep going. Even through all the plagues, God did all the plagues, but Moses still had to go talk to Pharaoh. Because think about it, none of the plagues, except for maybe one or two, got released until Moses went and talked to Pharaoh first. So when Moses didn't do his part, and at that point he did have Aaron as a backup, those plagues wouldn't have happened. Because the script had to work out the way God had intended it to go. And with that part being said, God is not looking for us to dump everything on him and walk away. What he's looking for us to do is to be willing to pick up what is ours afterwards. Because when you throw something in a trash can or garbage, you want that off of you. You want that waste off of you. You don't want to carry it around anymore. You want that muck and stuff. You even take a shower to get all the dirt off of you so that you don't get around anymore. Between that and you may live with a person who's like, you ain't about to lay down in this bed when you're dirty self. It's that's not personal. I'm just sharing an example of someone else I'm aware of. It's, it's not personal. Basically, doesn't do that. Moving on. So what he's looking for us to do is not look at our prayers as trash cans, but he's looking for us to actually take on what's ours. And Matthew 11, 20 through 30 kind of describes that. It says, come to me, all who come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because I said, let's be honest. There's a lot of pressure of us carrying stuff around that we don't want to anymore. Whether the old self, the emotions, all those things. Verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let's pause. How do you learn something from someone? Being around them. I would also venture probably asking questions and seeing what they're saying. I would also venture to say probably also doing the action around them and allowing them to give you feedback from how you're doing it, right? Okay. So in the midst of learning, what this part is really talking about when it says learn from me, it's really talking about understanding. So Proverbs 4 and 7, it says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom and all you're getting, get understanding. So in the midst of learning from God, in the midst of this, of, uh, this switch out that's happening, he wants us to learn from him. He wants us to grow with him, but he also wants us to be able to take something away moving forward. Because once you learn something, understand something, applications come around the corner. So like I mentioned, it's one thing to throw our prayers onto God and leave them there. It's another thing to allow for him to answer, and then there's an action that will come behind it. Whether it's still having faith in that very thing, whether it's going back and fixing whatever was broken the first time, whether it's doing something new that we feel like we're not even qualified for, but God already pre-qualified us before he even launched us into it. Because once again, did Moses release any, at least anybody at that point? No. This was a one-time thing, him going to free the children of Israel, and he pulled it off. So verse 30 says, I'm going to add Yep. Oh, let me go back. Verse 29. There we go. All right. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will rest for your, and will find rest for your souls. Verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this scripture is not saying that the weight or the burden that we're going to have is going to be lightened or taken away. It's just going to be lightened. Which means there's still going to be a part of the burden that's still going to be there. So to me, that tells me, Part of the weight that we have, part of the things that we're carrying, we're still going to carry across the board. 
So if you've never seen a yoke before, to give you this visual, a yoke was designed for two oxen to uh, ox to um, have a stick in the middle, in the middle circle, to be able to plow or till the land that's there. Now, to be able to have the burden lightened, both of the ox must go the same rate. Because if one is ahead, the, the one behind is being dragged. You see what I'm saying? If you've ever done like a, um, like a sack race or a three-legged race, the, you get your speed when y'all both go on the same speed. Like, you get that faster. If someone's going too fast, that means someone's going too slow, which means someone's dragging you behind, and you ain't getting first place. This is why people be teamed up. Like, I don't care if that person's tall, that person's short. We're going to go the same rate. You think we ain't going to win, but we understand it's not about the appearance. It's about the abilities. And so when we talk about being a yoke and Jesus Christ in this part, talking about taking on my yoke is light, he's not abandoning us in the yoke. He's there with us. So it's a call to walk at the same rate as me. Now, how can two walk unless they agree? And how can two people walk by each other and don't talk to each other? You can be mad at your spouse as much as you want. But if you're on a six-hour road trip, you're going to have to say something to them. Even if it's just, are you going to pull over and go to the bathroom anytime soon? You really going to eat up all the chips? Like you're going to say something. You're going to say something to them. You're not going to sit there in silence for six hours. I mean, unless you sleep. That's a whole other story. And so the thing about it is if we're that close with God, if we're that close when it comes to all this area, what's going to happen is different questions are going to happen. One of the things my father did, which I wanted to throw something at him every single time, is that he would pick the longest way home from school. And I despised him for it. I'm like, why are you doing this? And then he'd be so bold. Michelle, this is what he'll do. He'll turn the radio down. Man, I am jamming to Ozzy Brothers because he won't let me choose the radio station. So I have to listen to Caravan Love. I have to listen to Double Dutch Bus. I have to listen. Yeah, Pastor Vin, this is for you. Happy birthday. I have to listen to all of these songs because you won't let me change the station. And then you'll turn it down, the one enjoyment I have. But he did it because what he was trying to do is build a relationship. And you have to understand that me and my dad didn't talk that close until after we, he got divorced at, when I was age 10. So he was trying to figure out who I was as much as me trying to figure out who he was. And so what happened was he pretty much entrapped me. Yes, well, he entrapped me in the vehicle to where I had to talk. I had to give answers. In the house, I could just hide. It was easy. But not in the vehicle. One, because only he could drive. Two, I ain't jumping out no moving vehicle. Too many ditches. I ain't about to, I'm about to do that. That's a poor decision. So I had to talk. Now, at this point, I now appreciate it. And the technique that I use as well, I do it a little differently, a little more kinder. But there's a closeness that's there to be able to ask those questions and to be available when all of a sudden I started asking questions. But it took him going first for me to get the model to be able to go afterwards. And if you look through the word of God, you will see mobile time when Jesus Christ would start by asking his disciples questions. Even when he was challenged, even when his authority was challenged, he asked questions. He never really answered the question because he wanted them to understand what was going on. And so through all of this, what's the action step? What am I trying to get to? God is wanting us to not treat him like a, a garbage can or a trash can, but like as a sorter. 
When you have a sort machine, you think about like Amazon or FedEx or one of those corporations, even the postal service, what you end up finding is that they receive all the mail, but there's, they got to sort where every mail go. And sometimes it even goes return to sender. And so it's not as if it stays there, because some do, depending on what it is, it may stay. But it's understanding where that prayer needs to go. And even Holy Spirit interpreting, okay, this is what they're trying to say. And then, like I said, there's a return part that comes. To be willing to get things back, even for clarification, even something was off. Those things, have we have to be open to that as well. Because God is not looking for this to be a one-way street. He's looking for a relationship, and a relationship requires two-way communication, which means both parties have to take time to talk and to listen. And at the end of the day, part of it is also being willing to ask the necessary questions that are necessary to be able to move forward. Because at the end of the day, like I said, the title of this is going for the loss. Some people who are lost, they don't know they're lost. They think they're found, but they don't know they're lost. And we can't sledgehammer them in their face with it. We have to live this thing out and be prepared when they start asking the questions. Even if they ask questions and walk away. Because we have to play the part God calls for us to play in their life. But at the end of the day, I can't fear. We can't fear. Because God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind at the end of the day. Amen. Give God some praise on today. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and do the benediction and the prayer. Those in in the house, you are more than welcome to stand at this time. Um, For all prayer requests that may exist, any form of fashion, definitely um, use the link that's in the description um, across the board. Also, we'll show up later on at the end. Um, Those are in the place to be in the actual physical church. Um, The altar is open for all prayer concerns, all prayer needs whatsoever. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and praise you on today for all that you allowed to transpire. We thank you, Father God, for being here, loving on us, embracing us, Father God, and allowing us to understand to not be afraid to ask you questions, not be afraid to come to you, Father God, and, and seek your face, Father God, for the counsel that is necessary. We thank you, Father God, Lord, when your word says what two or three are together, touching the green, that you are in the midst, Father God. And we thank you, Father God, that you are able to um, answer every concern that we may have name of Jesus. Now, God, we avail ourselves unto you, Father God, as there's, I know there's so many questions that we may want to ask you and unsure what your answer is going to be. We are going to walk by faith and not by sight. We're going to trust and believe that the questions and the answers that comes from you, Father God, are to build up our faith, to build up our walk, to build up the thing that you have given us, to build up the purpose that you have um, labored us with in the name of Jesus, even to remove from us the things that no longer can walk with us in this season, God. So we thank you and praise you, Father God, for even the pruning that will transpire because your word said, Lord, that even as you prune, more fruit will come behind it in the name of Jesus. So remove every dead branch that may be attached to us. Remove, Father God, any hardness that we may have. Father God, soften our hearts, Father God, to receive your word and to receive your answer in the name of Jesus. Father God, make your voice clear to us in the name of Jesus. I bind up every voice of every noise of pestilence around your people's ear in the name of Jesus. I bind up the mouth of the naysayer in the name of Jesus. 
I bind up every witch and warlock spirit in the name of Jesus. I bind up, Father God, every incantation, every curse in the name of Jesus. I bind up right now in the name of Jesus. Any haughty spirit right now in the name of Jesus. We bind up the spirit of pride and depression, anxiety, all form of fashion in the name of Jesus that may try to derail and try to um, destroy your voice or um, cause your voice to be fuzzy in the ears of your people in the name of Jesus. I cover right now the youth in all form of fashion in the name of Jesus, whether they're in school or whether they just got out of school. I cover them with the blood of Jesus in the name of Jesus. We put a hedge of protection around them in the name of Jesus and we call for the angels as a sign over their lives to be on guard against the weapons, Father God, that will try to take them out in the name of Jesus. And Father God, we will believe in you for what you're doing. Even when we don't see it naturally, we will believe it because we see it spiritually in the name of Jesus. Father God, we leave this place. We have no desire to leave your presence. So have your way in the name of Jesus. We will give you the glory and the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Enjoy. We will see you in the month of September.